Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Lisa Brown-Alexander. You may want to sit back and strap in because this is a phenomenal business story, but in a wonderful area. So Lisa founded Nonprofit HR, which is the leading talent management firm in the United States, which works exclusively with the nonprofit sector. Previously, when I was researching it, I thought it was 70 employees and consultants, but no, it's 130 plus employees and consultants nationwide. Nonprofit HR has served some of the most prominent nonprofits in the country, including Amnesty International, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, Greenpeace, and Goodwill Industries. We've got lots to talk about, but firstly, Lisa, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Brilliant. And whereabouts are you based? So we're based in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. We do, however, have staff across 35 plus states. So we're definitely a national firm and our clients are located across the country as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, I want to go back, if I may, in a moment and just sort of get your story as to the what led to the formation and how you actually formed Nonprofit HR. But just before we do that, I see you've been doing some some fascinating talks recently. So you were, I, I believe, at Sherm 22. Did you actually go and yeah present? So in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and you spoke on the shift to people-centered organizations, how the war for talent is changing, how we lead, yeah. and possibly on a similar vein, you were at the Juilliard School. I was at Juilliard. Yeah, I'm so jealous. <laughs> and you were speaking on the importance of good talent management practices in the symphony world or the symphonic world. So it's obviously a passion of yours, talent management. It is indeed. I have been practicing in this space for almost 30 years and 23 as the CEO of Nonprofit HR. So yes, this is definitely what I do all day and every day. And while I'm no longer a practitioner, I'm running the firm as opposed to providing consulting services. From time to time, I do get out of the CEO seat to consult with our clients around culture and the impact of culture on uh, one's ability to impact mission. Before we get into that, can we take a step back and look at what led to the formation of nonprofit HR? And I'd love to hear your, your take on, on the, the beginning of this, of this business story. Sure, sure. The beginning started in the late 1990s during a time where I was working with my second nonprofit. I first worked with a, a nonprofit focused on city government and city government leaders. I left that organization and then moved to work with organizations that are uh, symphony orchestras. And and so moved from kind of city government oriented organization to one focused on arts and culture Um, and was with that organization when I began to see some of the same things that I saw in the first organization, both were membership organizations. And what I observed is their members as other nonprofits were continually in need of nonprofit-informed consultation. And by that, I mean getting advice and consultation on talent and HR needs, but with the understanding of how nonprofits operate. So I observed that twice. After leaving the symphony orchestra organization, membership organization, I went to work for a third nonprofit. 
And that organization was focused on long-term health. Very different from the first two. So city government, arts and culture, long-term health. What they, again, all three of them shared was the same desire to provide HR consulting and support to their members, but in a way that was nonprofit informed, or at least understanding of how the nonprofit sector was different. I searched around, noticed that there was no firm in the country at that time, that was back in 2000, 1999 actually, serving the talent and HR needs of nonprofits. And I said, that makes no sense. This is a huge industry. Um, nonprofits in the United States make up, they're the third largest employer sector in the nation, represent 5% of GDP, have over 12 million employees, and more than 2 million organizations. Now, why would someone not support this sector? <laughs> Largely because of perceptions that the nonprofit sector is broke and, and doesn't have the resources as a collective to support kind of a going concern. That is completely untrue. And here we are 23 years later, some 130 people across the country doing nothing but supporting the talent management and human resources needs of nonprofits. Mm, mm. So it was those experiences that led me to start the firm. And you sort of described the, uh, I don't know, the cliche of, uh, of nonprofit organizations having no budget, let's say. Are there any other characteristics that, that might surprise people around organizational structure or things like that? Yeah, I do think there's a general perception that people who work for nonprofits are less than those who work in private industry. Couldn't really make it in, in the big leagues, and, and so they decided to kind of take the next best thing offered. I would challenge anyone in that thinking because nonprofits traditionally tackle some of the most complex human issues and societal issues when compared to any other industry. The work is complex. In many instances, can be life-changing, life-altering. Issues around homelessness, issues around the environment, issues on advocacy and child welfare, those all fall within the nonprofit sector. And so they're doing amazing, meaningful work and yet didn't have a dedicated source of information, data, resources, and consulting services that they could tap into. You know, I never worked in the HR sphere. I never worked in a nonprofit organization. I worked in manufacturing business at one point in my career, which is under a lot of cost pressure. Mm-hmm. And still looking back over all the things I've done in my HR career, it's probably my most satisfying because budget was tight. You've got employee engagement issues and all sorts of stuff going on and performance management stuff but you've got to do with what you've got. Yeah. And I think we did some incredible work. So I, I find that very interesting that, yeah, you're right. People may think less than, mm-hmm. but they probably produce some amazing results and cultural change, et cetera. Absolutely. And, and have the ability to change kind of societal outcomes in a way that no other industry can. So I would say, yes, it's absolutely critical to the health and welfare of nonprofits that they have good talent management systems in place. Mm. And that's what we do. I'd love to get into the talent management side in a minute. But first, I have to ask, how do you go from just you to now 130 plus people? What happened? (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a good question. We're still trying to answer that ourselves. <laughs> well, we've grown organically. The first 10 years of our operation, we really maintained a controlled growth rate, right? We were very deliberate about our growth and the speed of our growth and stayed fairly small and nimble for the first 10 years. In year 11, we decided that we wanted to expand beyond the Washington, D.C. market to include other parts of the country. And so we set up shop in Chicago, Illinois, where we hope to attract new business in the Chicago market. Chicago is a really strong nonprofit market and has a lot of healthcare associations and human service organizations. And so we set up shop in Chicago. And that was really the beginning of our expansion. The last three years in particular, so with the onset of COVID and coincident with the murder of George Floyd, we began to see unprecedented demand for our services. Organizations that did not really understand and know how to navigate through the crisis that COVID brought caused a lot of organizations to turn to us. And unfortunately, so did the murder of George Floyd. It was at that point, like many other organizations across the country and the world, kind of came to reckoning with the need to be more intentional uh, about creating an an equitable and diverse and inclusive organization. So that was the birth of our EDIJ practice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and justice practice. And it was also a huge catapult for us just for overall demand for services as relates to COVID. Organizations were not just navigating kind of regulatory and policy changes, but they were also just managing culture and how to keep their staff engaged in in moments of crisis. So those two things catapulted our growth. Sure. And we have kind of tripled in size since since then. And in the years one to 10, you kept it, I don't know, tight, structured, organic. What kind of services were you providing at that stage? Our main focus service-wise was supporting the needs of organizations that did not have internal HR capacity. Okay, so outsourced HR. Outsourced HR. That's exactly what we did for the most part. Over time, we found ourselves responding to talent acquisition needs, organizations saying, I needed this, I needed that, can you help us? And so in about 2007, 2008, we introduced our talent acquisition services, and we provided everything from temporary placements all the way through executive search. In about 2013, 2014, we added our strategy and advisory practice, although we didn't call it that at the time where we worked with organizations that maybe had internal capacity, but needed to augment their own staffing services to complete a project or defined scope of work, right? And so project-based consulting became in large demand. In about 2015, we began to introduce and conceptualize a total rewards practice because we got more and more requests for assistance with compensation design and strategy development. And then most recently in 2020, we stood up our EDIJ, formerly DEI practice, um, in response to just the changing environment. A couple of things out of that. So with the Chicago, Illinois uh, expansion, how did you do that? Did you move there? Did you hire someone to take that over and set it up? What did you do? It's a big leap. We almost moved there. We maintained our physical presence in Washington, D.C., but we also acquired physical space in Chicago. 
um, a small footprint, but we did set up an office. Three of our executives, we shared an apartment <laughs> in Chicago and took turns staying there. So I would take week one, you know, the next person took week two, the next person took week three, and we would rotate. And, and we also began to hire in Chicago so that we could be responsive to the needs on the ground. All right. I'm just picturing this place with bunk beds or something, but no, it was a bit fancier than that, I'm guessing. It was an efficiency. It was a studio apartment, very uh, pragmatic space, but one that allowed us to be there without incurring, you know, extensive hotel expenses. And we did that for over a year where we we shared that apartment and we flew down one week at a time and took turns and, and we have, you know, rules about food and uh. And it, it worked just fine. All of that. So that's a bit of business development and business you know, process actually doing the work. Is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly. So on the business development side, was that getting out there? Is it hustling? Is it going to events? It was hustling. Absolutely. Old school BD, a combination of making our presence known, hosting events, attending um, meetings and gatherings of nonprofit leaders advertising, all the things that you would expect from a normal business development cycle. Over time, we found that the Chicago market didn't quite meet our expectations. And so we moved away from a physical presence in Chicago, continued to support Chicago-based organizations, but did shut down the physical office and moved to a more virtual arrangement. But you did it in a a stepped toe-in-the-water type of way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's funny. Um, so in my position, I, I interview people and I have clients and things like that. And and I also have a newsletter and so on. I get emails from people around the world uh, every day, every week. And, and, and sometimes the questions are, how do I get more clients? Which as a concept is great, but it's you've got to ask better questions if you want to get better answers. And one of the things is a lot of businesses struggle to pinpoint an area that they're going to focus on. So what you've shared is a, is a wonderful example of how knowing your area, your focus point, your industry or whatever it may be, your niche, how it makes it easy. Because you're physically turning up to another city and you're going, well, you could do a hundred different things, but no, we're going to go to the, the nonprofit uh, organization events and things like that. And instantly your job's made easier, right? It, it made it incredibly easier. It also gave us a very targeted focus. And and one that no one else was tackling. So for a long time, we had absolutely minimal competition and really began to carve out a space for ourselves as the kind of leading firm in the country doing this work. Now that we're 130 employees and servicing organizations across subsector and across geography, we really have a deep bench strength of knowledge and experience servicing the needs of what we now call social impact organizations, right? So as to include social enterprises, which is a fairly new kind of industry category. So yes, we we definitely have grown. We've had a corner, kind of a, a hold on the corner of, of the market for a long time. But it, it speaks to more broadly the importance of focus when you're developing your business strategy. I think if we had extended our services to include kind of all industries. And if we were industry agnostic, I'm not sure that we would have been standing today because that would have diluted our brand and forced us to compete with organizations that really could have had us for lunch, right? Instead, we were were acutely focused on 
nonprofit organizations and associations, foundations, and social enterprise in a way that allowed us to really distinguish ourselves from other players in the market. So my advice to those who are considering a business opportunity is to be really focused about who you're serving and why. And if you can effectively convey that, that's your value proposition. That's been our value proposition for the last 23 years. And quite honestly, um, remains our unique selling proposition. It allows organizations to look at us and understand the difference between us and the next consulting firm. That's wonderful advice. Absolutely. As the business, you know, the 2011 onwards, that expansion mode, or the stage three, if you like, suddenly there's an increase in geography and headcount. So you do have to start bringing in more of the leads and things like that. Did anything change on the marketing side? I know you've got a wonderful range of content and educational resources. So what what changed? How did you sort of step things up? Uh, We realized that we needed to be more intentional in our marketing efforts and began to really hone in on data as a marketing strategy. So the sector lacked um, a repository of related talent management data for the sector. And we fill that gap. Doesn't generate revenue, but what it does do is help position you as an authority, as a firm. And so we did that, created a number of signature surveys that the sector began to rely on for human resources, data, and information, and to benchmark their own practices. So we were able to to kind of jumpstart that work. Now there are many other consulting firms that are producing kind of HR and talent management related data for the sector, but we were the first or one of the first and take a lot of pride in that. We continue to have and produce three or four signature surveys that organizations rely on to benchmark their practices. And that's been, that's been very helpful. That's fascinating. I know you, you have a podcast. How's that going for you? You know, I am not on it that often. That is handled by our marketing team. We now have an entire team of people responsible for marketing. Um, They do a wonderful job and they bring in guest speakers and people who are doing this work on the ground in the field to understand what their practices are. So turning to the talent management side of things, you were talking, as I mentioned, at the Juilliard School and at Shroom 22 in New Orleans around how the war for talent is changing how we lead and the importance of talent management practices. What what do you see has changed and what's your advice to organizations on finding the right way to develop talent and create that management system? So what has changed from my perception, uh, and not just mine, but really kind of general business publications, we've spent the last, you know, two years lamenting on the great resignation and the impact that that's had on organizations. The labor um, shortage is real, and what it has done is changed the paradigm or shifted the paradigm from a focus on products and services to a focus on talent who produce the products and services. That has uh, given employees an advantage they did not have even five years ago. It's changed the way leaders need to look at and leverage talent, and it has allowed folks to kind of reset the balance between work and life integration. And so my advice to leaders around talent management practices is until you prioritize talent, um, you really are not working at your highest and best use, your fullest capacity. We've seen success with organizations that prioritize their talent management practices. They have better outcomes, better results, 
nonprofits don't so much manage their or or measure their success in financial results, but in impact in the community. When you have an organization that's healthy, that's balanced, that is employee-centered, that understands the connection between talent and impact, those are the organizations that are winning right now. And they're also winning the war for talent. Conversely, those organizations that don't have a focus on, on talent or that are talent oblivious are, are suffering. And those are the organizations that in some instances are having to close their doors because they've not paid attention to talent. They, they are not able to find talent in this very competitive market, or they have a, a work environment, a culture that kind of reeks of toxicity, and that becomes a repellent to those who are considering you know, their next employment choice. Now, my final question is how you manage talent within your own organization, because you've quite clearly you've evolved to the point where you're a CEO and who knows next what, what you become, I guess. But, and for instance, I know the, the business, there was a merger recently with um, Keating Advisors, a compensation consulting firm. It's just wonderful, the progress. What have you done to sort of develop that talent structure within your own organization? And how does that free you up to do what you want to do now and in the future? I'm not sure that it's freed me up as I see myself as the CEO and chief culture officer. So culture is as important to me as the services that we render to our clients. I think that's the recipe for success, that leaders who understand the power of good talent, when when they recognize that, they really, they win. Um, We're winning. We've been able to attract really smart highly talented people to the firm. We've grown during periods when organizations and companies are closing their doors. And we've done it because talent is a priority. So we not we can't just consult in that space and not practice what we preach. It's critical that our, our internal uh, talent practices mirror the things that we believe and we advocate to our clients to do. And so we've done things like create affinity groups, have a clear DEI strategy, invest in the growth and development of our staff, promote from within, create learning opportunities uh, where staff can feel like their work continues to challenge them. We've drilled deeply into this notion of purpose and making sure that there's alignment between who you want to be and how you spend your time every day. And so those things have helped us be able to continue to attract and retain staff when others couldn't. Wonderful. That's it's an excellent inspiration and an example to set for your people and for the other businesses. Lisa, you've shared so much valuable insight and I really appreciate you telling us your story and yeah, the advice for other businesses. If people want to learn more about nonprofit HR, what should they do next? The best place to go is to our website. It gives you a good kind of foundation for what we do and who we do it for. And that's nonprofithr.com. No hyphens or anything, just nonprofithr.com. There you can read about each of our five practices. You can learn about our team members. You can find the data that we produce for absolutely free. And all of that good information about who we are and what we do is available from our website. And of course, we have our presences on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, LinkedIn. Brilliant. 
Well, Lisa, firstly, I want to congratulate you on all of your success and the hard work you've put in to get you to this point. And then also to thank you for all your service and everything that you've done through yourself and through the business nonprofit HR. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.